everyone and welcome back to On The Agenda podcast. My name is Ella, I'm your host and you can find me on Twitter at GenderMHNurse and you can find the podcast on Facebook, just type in On The Agenda. Um, I'm very excited for today's episode and I have really missed podcasting. I've not done it for a little bit because work has been crazy hectic and busy with lots of exciting things going on. Today's episode is going to be a little extract from a workshop that I'm going to be presenting at the end of September 2019. This workshop is going to be for newly qualified nurses with primary healthcare and I'm going to be running a workshop on LGBT health needs awareness to help newly qualified nurses learn about the specific health needs that people from the LGBT plus community have because this is something that is definitely not taught to student nurses and this is something that very many healthcare professionals aren't aware of but actually would really help them in their practice and in providing person-centered care, patient-centered care specific to each person and addressing all of their physical, psychological and sexual health needs. So I'm going to give you a snippet of that and I'm going to adapt it a little bit though obviously because it's very different when you're listening to a podcast compared to sort of involved in a practical workshop. The workshop covers what is sex, gender, sexuality and sexual orientation. Some of this that I'll be talking about has been covered in episode one. I'm going to try explaining things in a slightly different way so that if episode one was still a bit confusing this should hopefully clear things up. So Normally, you'll hear the words sex and gender used interchangeably, as if they're exactly the same thing. Um, But are they? Are they the same thing? Well, if you've been listening to this podcast before, you'll know that sex and gender are very different things. Um, But often, we will hear them used as the same thing, whether that's in the news or in your biology lessons. I know I've had science teachers who have used them as the same word and so you hear it all the time people talking about oh a baby's gender and it's like well no that's the baby's sex because you're just talking about its physical body so that's given a bit of a clue as to what we mean by the term sex sex is all about your physical biological body and Sex is identified by a group of, I think it's around seven attributes that are sexed and are in relation to your body. So these include your genitals, so are you born with a penis or a vulva? Your chromosomes, are they XX, XY or something else like XXY? What gonads do you have? Your gonads are the place where your sex cells are kept. So your gonads would be the testicles or the ovaries. What sex hormone do you naturally produce? Um, Everyone produces testosterone and estrogen, but males will typically produce more testosterone and females will typically produce more estrogen. However, There is massive variation within the male population, the amount of testosterone produced, as there is massive variation within the female population, the amount of estrogen produced. And then there's also your internal anatomy. 
So that is how females have a uterus and a vagina and a... What's the word? Why has that gone out of my head? The cervix. Females will typically have cervixes. And then there is secondary sex characteristics, which is a very vague term because um, it kind of encompasses quite a few things. But it's generally other things people could use to identify a body's sex. So that would be, does that body have breasts? Can that body grow facial hair? So that's what sex is identified by. So sex is a biological determinant of one's sexual characteristics as to whether they are male, female or intersex. Um, we've done a whole episode on intersex, I believe that's episode number three. So if you're not sure what that word means, after this episode, go have a listen to the intersex episode and that will make a lot more sense. We're going to have a think about female health needs and male health needs. And I want you to take a short while to have a think about what specific things do females need that males don't and what specific things do males need that females don't and so maybe what conditions can females have that males can't and vice versa. Um, a very obvious one I suppose if you consider females are able to become pregnant and then there's all the issues around gynaecological health and menstrual health. Um, obviously not all females are able to menstruate or able to become pregnant but this is pro this is possible among the female population and not among males. So that is a specific health needs for females as well as all the gynaecological health aspects. Females are at higher risk of breast cancers. They're also at higher risk of Alzheimer's disease which is and vascular dementia, so two types of dementia. Um, females are at greater risk of osteoporosis. Then there is, if we're going to talk about male health needs, we might as well start in the same place as we did females. So we started with gynaecological health or gyne, and in male health there is andrological health, which is to do with the prostate and testes and is effectively the male equivalent of obstetrics and gynaecology. Um, as well as that, males are at higher risk of blood cancers, they are also at higher risk of cardiovascular disease, despite differences in lifestyles between uh, men and women. Males are at higher risk of CVD, and they're also at higher risk of abdominal aortic aneurysms, which is a really serious condition. So, thinking about this, this is just the body bits of male and female. There's actually a lot of different things going on. I've only given a few examples of where things are a little bit different. Um, so if you're looking after males or females more often, it's really useful to get to know about what those things are that male patients are more likely to experience and what female patients are more likely to experience. Um, but something also worth considering is gender. So gender, as we know, is not the same as sex and it is the result of socially constructed ideas about the behaviours, actions and role a particular sex performs. So yes, there is a link to sex, but it is definitely not the same thing because we, as a society, and as societies throughout history and all over the world, we've come up with ideas and expectations of what males should do, what females should do, how they should look, how they should be, 
what they should like and we've created this persona I suppose out of that which we come to know as gender and so it's all based on cultural expectations and norms associated with what we believe to be masculine and feminine but as you all know what is masculine in one country or in one time in history is not the same as in another time in history or in another place. Another thing with gender is we know it's not a binary concept so that means that it's not an either or thing you can't you aren't either a man or a woman there is other options and because there's lots of genders we need to think about the gender specific health needs that men and women and non-binary people have so if we think about men typically um, men in British society would have had more dangerous jobs a lot of men would have been factory workers and working in mines or in the pits as they're known and so this would increase their risk of injuries at work and developing poor health from their working conditions a lot of miners would just develop uh, lung problems from coal in the air and that sort of thing so men are at greater risk of smoking and the health impacts of smoking they're also more likely to use substances so illicit drugs and misuse alcohol as well. These are somewhat linked as well to what we expect of men to be doing and what we expect of men to experience. For example, it's a stereotype in British culture that after work a man will go down the pub, whereas it's less of a stereotype that after work a woman will go down the pub. It's just not as much of a thing and that's where the excessive alcohol use is an example. Like I said, dangerous work, another dangerous job commonly um, taken upon by men is work in the military. Um, yes, women are increasingly involved in the military, non-binary people are increasingly involved in the military, but this is still very predominantly male and that I think is over the whole world. And so again, there is a greater risk to men's health as a result of dangerous work. Men are also less likely to attend the GP surgery if they become unwell. A lot of men will avoid attending the GP when something's wrong and because of that things get a lot worse than they need to and unfortunately a lot of men's health conditions get caught when it's almost too late because something's been allowed to progress because the early stages haven't been caught at early intervention services like the GP and other primary healthcare services and so this is a massive risk to men's healthcare. On the other hand, if we think about women, women's specific healthcare needs, women are more likely to be victims of abuse of various forms, whether that's physical, emotional or sexual and so therefore there are specific health needs related to being a victim of abuse in the three domains of health which are physical, psychological and sexual. Um, women are also less likely to be educated to the same level as men. Um, this is definitely a more historical thing in England um, and in British culture. Obviously now all boys and girls will be going to school as children but years ago it'd be less common for women to stay in education much less common for young women to go on to higher education, that's university, but also in countries outside of the UK, 
um, women are less likely to become educated. And therefore, if a woman is less educated, she has a lot less access to health promotion. So whether that's health promotion done in schools, but also if healthcare workers are providing health promotion later on in life, sort of offering education, saying these are things that are helpful to do. If a woman is of lower level of education, it's a lot harder to understand and take those things on board with the rationale as to why those things are healthier or less healthy. Another thing women are at greater risk of is eating disorders. There's a lot of research into why people develop eating disorders, but partly this appears to be due to cultural reasons and cultural expectations of women and how they should be and how they should look. And so women are significantly more likely to develop eating disorders. I think it's a 90% to 10% ratio. So those are some of the differences between men and women in their healthcare needs. And so if you're a healthcare worker like me, healthcare professional working more predominantly with either men or women, it's definitely worth bearing those things in mind when delivering your care so that you can um, consider the more gender specific or sex specific areas of health this person is more likely to be involved with. If you're listening to On The Agenda podcast and you've been listening to other episodes, you'll very likely know what it means for someone to be transgender as opposed to cisgender. Um, If you don't, please tune into the other episodes. I definitely do go over it quite a bit in that, considering this is a podcast about gender, identity and trans health. But obviously, transgender people will have specific health needs as a result of their gender identity. Whether this is in relation to dysphoria, that can cause significant impacts on one's mental health, but also in relation to medical transitions. So that is accessing gender identity clinics, hormone replacement therapy, genital reassignment surgery, maybe electrolysis, maybe speech and language therapy, maybe top surgery. There's all sorts of medical aspects of transitioning that we need to be aware of. But also, as well as that, transgender people are more likely to be victims of abuse um, due to the very transphobic nature of our society. Trans people are frequently victims of verbal, sexual, physical, emotional abuse. Another really key aspect of transgender specific health needs is that because healthcare professionals don't quite understand what it means for someone to be transgender, they may be placed on the wrong ward, which is one against the Department of Health's policy and probably your local policy as well, but also has significant impacts on one's mental and emotional well-being. If you imagine being placed on the wrong ward for who you know yourself to be, it wouldn't it wouldn't be comfortable and you'd feel very uncomfortable and intimidated. Um, however, Stonewall have done some research into access to healthcare for transgender people, and one of the statistics that came from that and is forever shocking me is that eight percent of the respondents, seven or eight percent, stated that they had been denied healthcare provision that they would otherwise have received if they were cisgender. So if that person had not been transgender, they believe that they would have received a healthcare treatment that they had been denied, which is awful. 
which is well and truly awful. You can't just deny someone a healthcare service because of their gender. You can't do that. That's just not on. So that is obviously a massive issue. So in this workshop, I then go on to talk about sexual orientations, the different sexual orientations that there are, um, obviously beyond the more well-known heterosexual, homosexual and bisexual. Um, and we talk about the specific healthcare needs of LGB people, whether they are cisgender or transgender, what specific things do people who are LGB, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and other non-heterosexual sexual orientations, what specific health needs do they have, and how can we best support the LGBT plus community. So the main takeaways is be open and accepting, no matter who you are, treat LGBT people as you would treat anyone else and as you would want to be treated. Support your colleagues to learn about LGBT health needs, um, obviously, especially if you're a healthcare practitioner like myself. Um, but it's also important and very useful to teach your friends and colleagues about if you're working with LGBT people, is there anything specific that they need in their day-to-day -day life when working with you. We're going to round off this episode here, but I have really enjoyed coming back and recording this. I hope you have a lovely day, and I look forward to hearing from you about this episode, what you thought of it, and if you are new here, hello, thank you very much for coming, and if you'd like to hear more about the workshops and teaching sessions that I'm able to do, please get in contact, tweet me, or you can use the Facebook page as well. I will speak to you very soon. I hope you have a lovely day, as I've already said. And yeah, see you later.